Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Hey, Vet Church, how y'all doing? So, uh, sitting here with my father-in-law, last time y'all saw him was uh, Christmas time. I think it was Christmas time? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, uh, so Tim has been a pastor most of his life, and, um, so, of course, I was in the military. His son, uh, Sam, still in the military. Army, of course, you know. And then the uh, other son-in-law, he's in the Marines. <laughs> no, Navy. no, he's a Navy chaplain who's stationed with the Marines. So, yeah. you know, but uh, you got you to gotta love the Marines because this wouldn't be going on without the Marines pushing me to pick up my guitar and play. So. All jokes aside, I got a lot of respect for Marines. And then your dad was one of the original Army Air Corps. Yeah, Army Air Corps, World War II. Mm-hmm. And you're one of seven children. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'd like to start this whole thing out. I mean, we're going to talk about serious stuff too, but I'd like to start out talking about the fact that your mom and dad got married. It's, it was something like they got married, spent a week together, and then two years apart. Because yep. back in World That's War II, there wasn't no... He, he just finished uh, officer candidate school and was shipped over to England. And they, they got married and bam, gone. And I think he said one postcard or two? Or... Oh, no, they had several postcards and letters, but okay, they, they stayed in touch. <clears throat> Came back after the war. All seven of y'all were born. And a whole bunch of grandkids and now them grandkids some of them have their own kids yep so uh, it's pretty incredible actually in the in the world of you know folks getting divorced so easily you know and, and I'm and this is the the eve of the first vet church wedding you know we're doing a wedding tomorrow it'll be the first time vet church has done a wedding y'all stay tuned it'll be live and uh it's pretty incredible. I mean, that your parents stayed around that way. And none of y'all would have been born if uh, right. that kind of commitment hadn't happened. Did your dad ever talk about the war? Some, um, a little bit. He was armament officer on B-17s at Polebrook, England. So he talked more about his friends and the things that he did. Uh, you know, he, of course, he never flew, but took care of the planes, bombs, Machine guns, all that stuff. Did that impact you, what he did growing up that you were aware of? Yes. Yeah, I was aware that, and very proud, you know, that he was part of the, the that generation, you know, of four or two veterans. Did you ever think about joining the military? I did. Um, I was actually thinking about chaplaincy at one point, but I uh, decided that I was already in the pastorate and decided that was not the... Yeah, the kids. Then mm-hmm. my wife was born. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't do it, man. <laughs> I might not know her today. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, it's always a it's a strange journey because it's 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 tough to consider because being a chaplain is a lot different from being a pastor. And I didn't realize that mm-hmm. 
until after I came back from Afghanistan and had breakfast with you at a Hardee's, and we were talking about suffering, and you told me that, like, a normal pastor would never see that much suffering in a year. I don't know. Absolutely not. Um, You know, I still remember that. It was... uh, I remember coming back and, and not really being able to wrap my head around a year in Afghanistan. What I I'm still working through it. I mean, <laughs> y'all who know me know it's like this continual. I mean, I'm on a stage playing guitar. I'm working out stuff working still. Out. And um, you know, I think the life of a pastor you you go you could go in one day from the birth of a baby, which is a very wonderful and exciting thing for a young couple and then the death of a child in the same day. So the spectrum of things that a pastor sometimes deals with is a little bit different from a combat chaplain. You know, you're dealing with combat issues and the stress and the pain of combat and so that it's sort of all weighted on that side for you. Yeah, there's no birth. <laughs> not, many, not many births. It's the well, and then the ones that are births. It's sad because like the parents aren't there. Like even you know, and, like in and if a girl gets pregnant or a lady gets pregnant in combat or over there, and like oh no, we got to send her home, you know. And then, and and it's a hardship for the unit, and and everybody's happy, but they're not happy, and it's like there's a lot that goes on in the military that's on the the side of. Pain, mm. and um, and I'm still work. I I'm constantly working through this stuff. Uh, I think that's part of how Vet Church started, actually. Well, and that's you're you're helping others work through their stuff too. You've been a pastor for how long? Forty-two years. Forty-two years. What do you think of uh, both of your son-in-laws are chaplains, mm-hmm. or yeah, I was. Well, I'm um, still chaplain. Yeah, I mean, well, vet church, we I mean, you know, mm-hmm. had so many people. And, um, and still doing a lot of the same things, except I'm not getting paid to. <laughs> uh, other than that, it seems a lot like the same work. And uh, and I don't have to have total confidentiality, so if I see something wrong, I can go report it, or I can get help and, and talk to other people about things, when, and I'm not bound by that. Um and and Sam, I mean, he's he's you know I'm not gonna say what he does where he's at, but he's pretty incredible. I mean, Vet Church wouldn't even have started without him talking mm-hmm. to me one day. You know, I'm proud of him. Is well, I was there when he did his initial PT test to come into the army. I was, yeah, I, I you ran were, you were with him and cheering him on. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I was cheering. I was saying some things when I thought about his PT skills, but. <laughs> Talking a little rougher than I normally would, even. But uh, what does that do to you, seeing all your children involved in the military? Well, uh, I think that uh, it's been for Sam. I know it's been the best thing in his life. Um, it, I mean, he's he's said that yeah. himself, um, and. He's really good at it. And I think, uh, you know, my son-in-law, my other son-in-law, Hal, had been a pastor, you know, for several years while he was in seminary and then with his father for a while. But he had always dreamed of being a Navy chaplain. And so 
I think he's doing what he loves doing. And from what I hear, uh, even in even serving the Marine Corps, he's he's enjoying it. Well, you know, it was funny because he was always like, I want to be on the water. <laughs> well, he's near and the water. He is near the water. But then it was like, it was funny to me because I kept trying to talk him to go in the Army. You know? And he's like, ah, I don't want to be out there and get all dirty and everything. <laughs> and then he wound up with the Marines and I'm thinking... I tell you what, I saw Marines in the Corongal Valley when I was there. They were getting just as dirty as the Army was. And so it kind of cracked me up a little bit. And um, and I think he's I think he's really into it. You know, I really think he's one of those guys who'll sit and talk with the Marines and care for them and, and like, really fight for what's right. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, your experience as a chaplain, uh, Hal's experience, and I'm a minute, I would imagine Hal's going to make that a career. Um, you know that that that's a particular and a very special population of our country that are military, and uh, they need the best that we can give them. Well, and you know, I never thought that I was the best. But what I thought was, when I was where I was at, I would give the best I could at that moment. Yeah, that's what God requires. And I, yeah, and I think that's what Hal's doing. I think that's what everybody I saw while I was in the military was doing. You know, folks can look at us sometimes and judge us. And, and this goes on every walk of life. It's easy to look at that person, where they're at, and judge them. But for the most part, people are doing the best that they can while they're there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you ask about military, um, in previous congregations, I've been close to military installations and have had members of my church that were in the military, either Air Force or Army or Marine Corps, uh, Navy, and they've always been probably among the best of our church members. You know, in terms of uh, their adherence to uh, a, a love and a care for people and a determination to do what the Lord's called them to do. And so uh, there was a lot of uh, experience of a, a determination and a, um, a lifestyle that made for probably some of the best church members that I think I've ever had. Now, you don't mean the best people. You mean no, just no. like... No, no, not the best people. But they, you know, most military folk <clears throat> that I've met you know they know what if they have an objective, or and they and they know what they're supposed to be doing, they get out there and do it. Yeah. And and that's so. It's drilled into us, man. A lot of times like, when when I would have projects or things that needed to be done, these folks would would do it, and and I and I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to come up behind them and and kick them in the rear end to get them to do it. That's uh, because that's how they we've were been trained. committed. Well, you know, and it's weird too because. Oh, I hear this from a lot of veterans. They say, man, civilians aren't the same. Civilians aren't the same. And it's true. Civilians aren't being told every single day that if you don't do this, people are going to die. And when you hear that over and over and over, and then if you do go to combat, even if you don't go to combat and you just are one of the people that helps other people go to combat, you start thinking in your head that every single thing you do, every single day, Every single moment matters, and it has to be done right. Yep. And so, and so when they're doing the mission, whatever that mission is, if it's setting up vacation Bible school, you got to do it. 
And then if the mission is getting, you know, relaxation and they don't know about moderation, well, then they just drink the whole bottle of Jack and they get plastered drunk. And I mean, like, and when they fight, sometimes they fight, you know, too far. And, and, and it creates a lot of problems sometimes. And it also creates a lot of good things. But that way of life of thinking everything is about life or death, in some ways, it's killing me. And you see it. I, we just watched it. What was that show we just watched? P.G. Woodhouse. Yeah, say that again. P.G. Woodhouse. P.G. Woodhouse. It's, it's on YouTube. Y'all Google it. It's funny. It's all get out. It's hard for me even to sit there. Like, I have to make myself enjoy things. Because at first, I'm just sitting there like... And I'm that way with everything. It's hard for me to find, you know, because I spent so much time on the side of suffering and pain. It's hard for me to have fun. I really struggle there. And I don't think I'm the only veteran that struggles that way. Probably not. I think there's a lot of us that do that. Um, Kate, see, you see that, right, in me? Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't, I, you know, finding that balance, I don't know. Well, and there's a, uh, there's a book, and some of your uh, viewers would, might be uh, aware of this. Uh, he's a, currently is one of the most important, probably, writers that we have in the United States. He's a military history, historian. His name is Victor Davis Hanson, and he is also a classicist. He was a Ph.D. in Greek and Latin, but he writes mostly military history, and one of his most prominent books when you were talking about the military and the effect that the military has on people's lives and how I experienced it in my church. He wrote a book called Ripples of Battle. Ripples of Battle. Ripples of Battle, Victor Davis Hanson. And there he takes three particular battles. An ancient Greek battle, Shiloh in the Civil War, War, and Okinawa in World War II. His uncle, Victor Davis Hanson's uncle, for whom he's named, was killed on Okinawa uh, in the battle for Okinawa. So he writes his book, Ripples, in the sense that those who survived combat, the things that happened to them afterwards, how that affected them. A very, very interesting book and and, uh, concept of how battle, how combat, how military experience affects a person. Ripples of war. Ripples of battle. Of battle. Ripples of battle. Um, hey, Kate, can you look and see if that's an audiobook? It's on audiobooks, folks. Uh, I'm on Amazon right now. On Amazon. So, um, you know, my friend Kevin Troyer uh, up there in Boone mm-hmm. wrote a song called The Dead Are the Lucky Ones. Mm-hmm. And it, it was such a It's, it, it's, it's a song with such emotional content that he asked me, he said, Matt, do you think it's okay if, because he's not, he has never been in the military, he said, do you think it's okay if I sing this song? Because sometimes I do, I get a little, I hear people singing about mm-hmm. something, I'm like, you don't know anything you're yeah, talking about. And, and that's holy ground for us. Sacred stuff you're talking about, you don't know what you're talking about. And I get angry. And um, and he called me up and said, what do you think about me singing this song? And I cry, I was crying. I couldn't help it. I mean, it's like, 
because sometimes the dead are lucky ones. Like, we've got to come back here and live with this. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, we live with not only what we've done, but what we didn't do. We live with the fact that, like, we're in an 18-year war. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and we didn't name it. It's called the Global War on Terror. 18 years in one country, so now we have children walking in the footsteps of where their fathers are. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know that that's the exact case, but I've heard people talk about that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's real long, it's drawn out, and I don't know what I did. I mean, I don't know, I mean, I know what I did, but I don't know why I was there. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I have yet to see an administration really address this. I don't think any of us have. I think the whole country's kind of wondering about it. And, you know, in, in, in here in Vetchers, we don't talk about politics so much, but we do talk about the emotional content and what that does. Even if I knew there was something, it still leaves this gaping hole. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's not a chest wound, but it's like a soul wound, like where my soul just feels mm-hmm. a little bit lost. And, um, yep. And I don't think I'm the only one. I, I know I'm not the only one. I, no, I know like, dozens of us in Vet Church, if, if folks have told me that. I mean, before Vet Church and these interviews even became a thing, when I realized that I really should, we should be talking about this with everybody, I was talking about it with people, and they would tell me that. I'm thinking, man, it's, you know, like, I can't be, you know. And then we realized that maybe we should be doing this. And, and as he's talking about in that, in that ripples of battle, what is the emotional? Does is there an emotional solution, or is it just? I have, it, 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 he talks more about the some particular people that were affected by those three battles in particular, and the ripples in the sense like the concentric circles of a ripple, you know, coming out from a like if you dropped a pebble in a pond. He, he doesn't spend a lot of time on the psychological issues, but he talks more about how it motivated. Or didn't motivate, or so it is somewhat psychological. Yeah. But uh, more dealing with how the how those battles affected those people and their extended families and their lives. Yeah. And you know when you speak of the global war on terror, uh, he also uh, Hanson has also written a book on the Peloponnesian War, and points out that the Peloponnesian War, uh, there were uh, grandchildren who were fighting at the last part of the Peloponnesian War, uh, whose parents and grandparents had fought at the very beginning of the Peloponnesian War. And so there were generations of war. Yeah. And so he explores that. And I think that that is a unique reality of the global war on terror and how it's affected people like you and people who now have children who are entering the military and winding up in Afghanistan or Iraq or wherever. Let's let's get real personal for a minute. <clears throat> so here I am all drugged up, at taking pills from doctors that are trying to help me. You remember this. <laughs> for about three years. Mm-hmm. And you kind of saw me going into this what did you see? I know we we haven't rehearsed this, no, and, we didn't and I'm putting it. you on the spot a little bit. But I think this might be important because you're my father-in-law. 
well, you're I just in the saw, same profession. I, I saw that you were hurt. You know, you, not just physically hurt. When I mean, you were physically hurt. Yeah, and that's why you were, yeah. you know, why you were dealing with the drug thing. But it was the hurt of lost ambitions and lost possibilities. I think that's that's one of the big things that you were dealing with. You know, it's not only um, the experiences in Afghanistan and how you know your experiences with death and uh, with uh, soldiers uh, and their experiences there affected you, and also this whole thing about total confidentiality that played with your mind as well. Um, but I thought what I saw more or what I experienced more was your hurt, you know, just a, a whole lot of hurt that you were experiencing on lots of different, multiple levels. What? Well, I mean, I remember like, I remember you and, and, and your wife comes down to, uh, Kate's graduation, and uh, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. And and uh, Kathy, your, your wife, my mother-in-law, Kathy, says something to me, and I was just like, Wah! I don't know if you remember this. Yep, I do. And I felt really bad about it. And um, I went outside, and somebody said, "Well, you should smoke something." <laughs> and uh, and I did. And then I I. I realized just how horrible what I did was. So I went back inside and asked her for forgiveness. Just as publicly, I walked back in the room and told everybody to be quiet for a second. And I asked her for forgiveness because I felt like I felt like when you do things publicly, you all should, you should do them just as publicly the other way. And I knew I was wrong. I, I don't know why I did what I did. Except now I think that like from a family systems point of view, you know, when you lash out or when you do something, you do it where you're safe to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't have done that to Kate. It wouldn't have been safe. I don't know how I lost my relationship with the one person who was staying with me. And here's my mother-in-law, so, yeah, it looks a little bit safer, you know? Like, I could I could just unload on her and she could deal with it. And she did. And um, I was embarrassed. It was a party. You know, there was a bunch of people there. And she was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. And um, and then I realized that, I think it was that time that I realized that, like, some parts of me are out of control. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's um, unfortunately, in a lot of people's lives, that's true. But I think your, your experience in the military, Afghanistan, all the things that you went through, and then... Losing the, the the possibility of of a, of a career, uh, losing that, all of that, you know, just came crushing down on you. And and it was you know, it was a pretty hard set of circumstances. I mean, I, I finished my doctorate in April, and in May I became mad. I've never worked as Doctor Williams. Mm-hmm. I've never done. A, you know, it's weird because like even now what I'm doing with vet church and playing music. I'm not getting paid for this. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life mm-hmm. because it's the only thing worth doing in my mind for me. Mm-hmm. And and it was total loss. Like every like they don't give you a doctorate. You know, you started on one of these things, yeah. and, and, and like and it and as many people said, "Well, I'm going to become a doctor one day." Man, it's like 
it's crazy hard. There's all the time you don't spend with your spouse, your mm-hmm. friends. It's time you don't spend with yourself. Right. Reading, writing stuff, reading stuff that dead people wrote don't even matter. And, uh, <laughs> and some of it does, but you gotta sure. you gotta dig through and figure that out. And um and there was a lot of loss. I mean, it was that. There was some loss of, like, at one point in my life, I thought I was uh, bigger, faster, stronger than most. Now I'm just bigger, and it's going in the wrong direction. (laughs) People keep saying, have you grown since I've seen you? I'm like, yeah, but not in the way you're thinking. I'm wearing these real loose shirts. (laughs) But uh, loss is incredibly tough to deal with, Mm -hmm. and I'm not the only one. Hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of veterans a lot around of your, this country. A lot of vet church guys and gals, you know, have experienced that. All of them have in some way. I, I think so. I don't think you can be in the military, whether you're in combat or a combat situation or not, where you're not going to, in some sense, have to deny yourself. You know, that's uh, unfortunately. In the civilian world, uh, we do, most of the young people I, I met, meet now, they're looking for the quickest way to make it to retirement, you know, to shorten the distance between work and It's the quickest retirement. way to death right there. Yeah, and, and that they don't think about sacrifice yeah. or commitment that is going to take, you know, their heart, soul, and, and blood and sweat. Uh, that That's not the mindset of most civilian folks. I mean, that's my experience. Um, And when I meet military people, they know what sacrifice is. They know what duty is. Um, So there's a profound difference in my experience. Well, you know, we talk about sacrifice. There's a sacrifice that's not talked about very much that you can talk about. I notice when people come into my office as a chaplain that most of the time I'd ask them about their family, you know. They come and sit down. I want to know about your family. Tell me about your family. Were your parents divorced or her parents divorced or, mm-hmm. you know, even if they're not married or whatever. I want to know about the family. And what I started finding out was person after person would come and talk with Chaplain Williams had somebody in their family that was military. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I'd get a call from a grandmother or a grandparent wondering about their grandson and granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because back then, in those days, I couldn't, you know, you got total confidentiality. I can't, I'm not like the bearer of bad news or the, well, sometimes we were the bearer of bad news, but it was an officer I was accompanying that did that. But, uh, um, You've worked in these churches, mm-hmm. and there's grandparents, there's aunts and uncles, yeah, the whole that sit and think about their grandsons and their granddaughters and their nieces and their nephews who are in the military. What's going on there, Tim? Can you can you talk to us a little bit about some? Because they're sacrificing. They're they're sitting yeah. up thinking at night. They're watching the news and thinking, "Oh yeah. my, oh yeah, my." In our church right now, I mean, there's a lot of military. Um, either active duty, reserve, or National Guard, um, 
and some reti- some retired. Uh, and so, there, I can think of one person in particular who just lost her husband, and her of her three gun- three grandsons, one of her grandsons is army, and uh, has spent some time in Afghanistan recently. Um, and she is so you know any any time you talk about use his name, she's just she bubbles over with excitement and joy. And he's he's a good kid. He's only twenty three or twenty four, single. So he's a, he's a great kid. I've known him since he was a high schooler. Um, but at the same time, she worries. You know, she's concerned. She's praying for him. praying for him. Uh, concerned for his physical. Hoping he doesn't wind up with, with what I went through. Well, that and and or and, and he was in harm's way in Afghanistan for nine months, you know. So he he came close to some, some bad stuff. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, that experience is always there with with people. Uh, one of the guys that uh, I've, does our military ministry, uh, his experience. He's a Vietnam vet. And career military, uh, and now works uh, quasi military stuff. But his his attitude is, I think, it's an interesting one, in the sense that he's he's still there. He's still sort of part of it. Yeah. You know? He's not completely separated from it. So there's a there's a difference among lots of people who are still have some kind of like I feel completely separated. You know, um, tomorrow's first vet church wedding is a lieutenant colonel, still active duty in the army. I went to Afghanistan with this guy, and a good friend. But I don't feel any connection about the military at all. I won't interview him on vet church or anything because, you know, public affairs and all that stuff. Um, But it's 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 a wild, wild. Well, I, wild I, I think you I think you are connected. I, I understand what you say when you say you don't feel connected. But the reality is is that you're very connected. Well, there you there know, is a so sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're not officially connected. I'm not officially any, like I'm not taking any yeah, funds and, from the government, or and you're not doing anything yep. for the government. Um, but you are still heavily connected to people. And well, that's what it is. That's because that's what I think. That's what it is. It's sacred. Like this is sacred ground we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like these stories are sacred. Yeah, they're and human beings who I, are made in the image of God, and so that is sacred. Well, you know, I, I did a, a post a few weeks back on that church. I said uh, somebody was talking about making it. You know, like in the music. Well, you're gonna make it one day, Matt. I already made it. In fact, I made it long before I ever could play a guitar. I went and looked in the mirror, and if you'll do the same thing, you'll see you made it too, because that's the image of God. Mm-hmm. And that mirror, you know, is, is, and that's freaky to me. And and I, I can't, I cannot begin to explain that. I think that the whole idea of God being a bit of a mystery, because, you know, it talks about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but God is a spirit. You can't worship Him in flesh and blood. Right. You worship God in the spirit, but yet Jesus was a man, and Mary was a woman, and and yet we're the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these mysteries, and it's just it makes no sense. You cannot like 
approach this thing with the scientific feel, touch, taste business is faith. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also human beings, you know, because they are, we are made in the image of God. Um, so if I mistreat you, then I've mistreated actually the image of God, yeah. which is a serious thing. Uh, and I think that that's what you experience in combat. Uh, that's where moral, moral injury, injury comes in. Yeah, where you're you're having to deal with or uh, be violent toward another person. And, and the, the Bible's of full of that. I mean, it's not like this is foreign to that's Scripture. Right. Exactly. I so, mean, the Bible talks about it all, all the time. And it is happening since the dawn of man. This stuff has been going on, and we're not the only ones. And so, you know, I don't think that, like, I don't think Vet Church is going to save the world. What I think it's going to do is help us heal. You know, I mean, like, on that T-shirt I made with the skull, I've got Iraq in the eyes. One eye is Iraq, one eye is Afghanistan. The nose piece is Vietnam. And then down below Vietnam is Korea. And it's a skull on a pike. And at the top, it, I'd written the word heal, like right across the top of the skull and on the bottom says vet church. And the idea is that you can heal, but healing doesn't mean that your brokenness, or that your pain, that your suffering is forgotten. Oh, no. No. It's turned into what, it, what God has intended it to be. You know, it's, everything is a learning experience. Because there's, there's so many of us with brokenness that, you know, like when we break that bread on Sunday or break those chips or whatever it is that we're doing on Vet Church or where you're doing church when we do communion. To think that, that those people over there are fine is to negate the fact that maybe they're broken too. It's, it's, it's almost like a sin against them just to say, well, you're, you can't be broken. It looks like you got it all together. Because nobody has it all together. No. And if you, it's sort of like, you know, the, the person says, well, how are you? And I say, well, have you got two hours? I'll tell you. I like uh, that. So, you know, it's a, it's a difference between assuming that people have it together when the reality is far from that. Everybody has pain. And I think military and uh, people who have especially been in combat, uh, in combat situations... Uh, experience a pain level that is perhaps as deep as as possible in anybody's human experience. You know, it, when I started getting off the medication and my mind started coming back, I started being able to think again clearly. And, uh, and then I started having to do yoga for my back problems and all the other chronic pain that I deal with every day. Um, I was, buddy called me up to the mountains and said, "Hey, I want to come be a pastor with me in this in this church." And I thought he was joking around, you know, and I blew him off. And he called me back about two weeks later. And he said, "You realize I was serious?" I was, like, I was like, "Oh no, I'm about to lose my friendship over this." And um, and you know who you are. And I, and I felt really bad about it. So. I got in the car and I drove up to North Georgia, up in the mountains, and um, I spent a weekend with him. And on the way back, I was, I was talking to you, you know, I, I, it was clear to me that that was not what God wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, man, I'm going to leave the denomination I'm in. Because the denomination, I, well, I'm the most liberal denomination in the United States. Yep. Of the Christian Probably. denominations. And the, the only thing I can think of that holds us together is we believe in Christ. And that we believe in this image of God. Like we all, we all believe that people are important and special. And that Christ is real. And after that we have a thousand different viewpoints on everything. And, um, and you said to me, well, I said, you said two things to me. You said, uh, well, why do you want to leave? And I said, well, well Tim, I want to be right. He said, that's interesting. And then he said, so did God tell you to leave? I said, no. And he said, well, okay. So, so I, and I, I want to talk about this a little bit, but I want to start with this. As you said to me, all the churches are organizations, they got people. And people are sinners, and people have problems, and people are broken, and they're going to have differences. And all the denominations have something to offer but none of them are all right. And then you said to me, unless God's telling you to do something, you're wasting your time. Right. And I was thinking, well, crap. I'm never going to be right. I'm not going to, like, I don't know why I was feeling that way. I mean, the UCC is... I found some very loving people in the UCC, and, I, and that's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it, and I'm a mess, so like I fit right in. But, but so many of us. I mean, this is why Vet Church started, is because so many people can't find anything where they feel like they're okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't feel like I'm okay ninety percent of the time. I told the folks last week after the Sunday thing, "Hey, listen, if you're following me." I'm not an example to follow. Maybe the guy that needs the $56 million airplane is the example to follow. I mean, like, he said he has two or three other airplanes. He's got to be doing something right. <laughs> but, like, can you talk a little bit about that? You've been, a, you've been a pastor. You've been in denominations. You see the decline of people going to church. And I still think we need community. And I think it has to go beyond just the, the Facebook Oh yeah, I, I mean it may not. It may never be what it, the, the church in America may change drastically. It is changing drastically. It may get to the point where there are very, very few actual building churches. Yeah, I think that that may come. Mm-hmm. So, what, what do folks do with this idea that? Because I'm not the only one that wants to be right, Tim. I, I still want to be right. Like I'm still, you know, after you said that. You know, you, you, you when you were raising Kate, you used to tell her, "God ain't gonna send you a postcard, girl." <laughs> and I, you know, and I'm still waiting for a postcard. I mean, there is a part of me that still sure, wants to be right. Sure, there's a part of me that always wants the postcard too. Sure, but that's that's not reality. I mean, you look at the biblical people. I mean, you look at King David and the and the spectrum of his life. That was a mess there. Yeah, oh, he was my. he was a mess. That's right. Now, there were some times during that life where he came very close to being much more than a mess. He was getting ready to really, really be in bad shape. When he... He murdered people? When he wanted to murder, (laughs) and he was held held back by somebody from murdering. Um, And then he 
did what he knew was not right, and then he paid a high price for it. So you, you look at the biblical people, they're no different from us. They have the same experiences. You know, if you look at David, if you look at, unfortunately, his son Absalom, who tried to kill him. Didn't Absalom sleep with his sister? Uh, yeah, and, and Absalom tried to kill David, his own son. His own, yeah. Tried to kill him. His t- He's going to kill his dad. He sleeps so, with his sister. So, you know, I think that there's always a, a desire to be right. You know, and and I think there are times when in our own personal lives and our personal re- relationship with God that we can feel that rightness. It may not be a, a rightness in the sense of I'm righter than you. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a right relationship with God. It's very much like the situation with Job in the first chapter of Job. When the writer of Job says that Job was a perfect man. The word's not the word is translated perfect or mature. It doesn't mean that he was totally right. It meant that he was in a constant right relationship with God because he realized he was a sinner. So he sacrificed. It's, it's, it's and like, so he wasn't right in the sense of being right as opposed to you being wrong, but the rightness was the right relationship that he had with his creator, the one who had made him the image of God. That, if you're in right relationship with that, then I'm not going to say everything else is right or good or wonderful. But it may not matter as much, right? But you're going to be able to face the things that you have to face in life with a with more hope and courage. Well, because this this right relationship is the relationship of faith. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's not a relationship of of doing or doing or being well, perfect. It's well, it's it's faith. It's this. Not. It is it is kind of a being thing. Mm-hmm. It it's a, it's being in faith. It's 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 like you know like like. Here we are. We're packing our house up. Kate's going to be quitting her job here in a couple of days. And, and, and like, you know, I've had a couple of businessmen call me up and say, like, well, how do you, where's your money coming from? Well, I don't know. Well, send me your budget. I, I don't know what this is. I do know one thing. I know if there's 3,000 people in Vet Church now, there's there's still 21 million plus veterans out mm-hmm. there. And that doesn't include their families, right. the women who may have been divorced, the the lovers that weren't ever wives didn't and start with. collateral damage out there. Hundreds of children, grandparents, nieces, nephews. There's organizations all over the country that have tried to do the right thing or trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And all I know is that, like, I'm, I am good at this, and playing that guitar, and and I don't want to do anything else. This Doctor Williams don't give two shits about making a bunch of money, and I'm not going to go do that. Yeah, right. I, I want to do this where we talk about Christ, where we talk about redemption, where we talk about people's lives changing and being worth something, like. The reason 22 a day is a problem is because 22 people in the image of God 
became so hopeless. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't see any worth in living anymore. That's why it's a tragedy. It's not a tragedy because they died. Because they're going to die anyway. No, everybody's We're crazy. all dying. Right. What's the tragedy is that they don't have the hope that, that God would want them to live and that they are value in a community. Mm-hmm. And the, the collateral damage that they leave behind. Oh, when yeah. They do that. Oh, it's... it's, it's yeah. I remember talking to Jeremy tonight before he shot himself. It's my best friend growing up. With all the problems he had, I'll never, ever, ever forget that conversation. And I had it on speakerphone, so Kate heard the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And... And, and that's the, the, the problem is he was in great despair. And I couldn't even, I, I had there was nothing I could have done to stop him. Right. Well, and I, you know, my sister uh, took her life as well and not long ago. And we had talked over the phone lots of times. And uh, it had gotten to the point where she wouldn't listen to me anymore. Uh, I don't know whether, I don't know why she, yeah. she wouldn't. But... The, the reality was is that she had basically cordoned people off yep. from when Jeremy did some of the same stuff. Jeremy did the same kinds of things. So yeah, I, I understand. And I think I think there comes a point where like like when we stop listening to people's stories, we stop seeing the value, and then you you go down the road for several months. It's just too far gone. Like I don't think it could have stopped Jeremy if I tried. Probably not. And I don't think you could have stopped your sister. Probably not. I think what happened was maybe 20 years ago, if we had valued their stories better, maybe then. Possibly. But that's all I know. All I know is that, like, the, you know, when I wanted to take my own life, because I was all drugged up. And when I got off all those drugs, I could see clearer, I could think clearer. And that ain't the case for everybody. No. Sometimes they just they're they're in despair, despair, and they ain't even on the drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've talked to lots of those people, and I've buried lots of them. And and it's a and it's like so like when I think about like how I spend my life, you know, I'm, I'm still an ordained minister. And, you know, if you go back far enough in Bet Church, there's one, me doing a whole service at in the Amistad Chapel at the headquarters of the United Church of Christ. I mean, they've given me full... I don't quite have... Bet Church isn't yet the biggest church in the United Church of Christ, but it probably will be. Probably will be, yeah. Because, and, and I don't use the terminology United Church of Christ. I'm just a United Church of Christ minister because something's happening here that's beyond the corporate entity. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really understand that, but I do understand this. We wouldn't have as many people involved in this if it wasn't real, if people weren't looking for something that was real. And, and, and you're seeing this every day. You've seen it how many years again as a pastor? 42 years. 42 years as a minister. And, and you had to go to seminary. But before seminary, you had to do four years of college. Before that, you worked your butt off because you were poor in lower Alabama there. 
you had some good stories about working outside in that that brush crew. (laughs) But it's been a journey where, like, you don't drive new cars, man. Your house is probably the smallest house in this block. Probably, yeah. I mean, I I think you've had them same pair of shoes for... Oh wow! You're not you're not this guy that's living in this fancy high rise, taking people's money and, and he needs a plane. You, Kate says you need a plane. <laughs> oh, I'd love to have a plane. <laughs> you actually would. Hey, um, Brian Magoon, take my father-in-law flying. <laughs> um, he's got a plane. But I think you're right. I mean, that, that's a, uh, a thing that I see in a lot of people that I meet today in, in our particular church, um, that they're looking for, uh, most of them now, are looking for community with each other, with, with other like-minded people. Not, you know, not lockstep, but people that they can love and encourage and and live with and um, and work with you know and that's what you know that's what the community of military is in yeah. a lot of ways I mean you you work with people you get to know them uh, you either like them or you don't like them um, but that doesn't matter you're in the chain of command you're stuck and yeah you're in the chain of command so no matter whether you're enlisted or an officer you have to deal with people yeah and so whether they're believers or not believers or or somebody that just you, you might think is kind of wacko, but you deal with them because that's the thing that holds you together. Through your military experience, whether it's Army or Navy or Marine or Air Force or whatever, that's your well, we, that's the overarching yeah reality. And, and now as veterans, we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing it. I mean, like I so much so that like we've, we're just going through our house and selling stuff we just brought you back some furniture y'all gave us um, it's a it's a crazy thing but it's not crazy I don't think I'm nuts I, I think that I see an opportunity to build something and, and help motivate others to do the same thing we all got these phones in our pockets look what I've done with a stinking phone in a year's time I mean it, it Kate and I were talking about it you know like I wanted when the iPhone 7 came out I really wanted it because it had a better camera and better sound And it, but it's like how do you justify a thousand dollar phone yeah that's hard to and, and yet right now I've got well over a thousand dollars worth out of this phone you know and it's, and it's been fun to do that because I because people have called me up and said, hey, you know, just wanted to let you know that so-and-so had made a comment on Vet Church or saw me on Vet Church and somehow we hooked up and talked about stuff and this has helped out and our lives wow. are better because we're in community hmm. or we're, we're, we're in a relationship So that's now. when you know things are working. Yeah, because I don't even know it. Like, I don't know everybody on Vet Church. Okay. I, I probably only that know two or three hundred people on there. And, and you know there's like a thousand of my friends anybody wants to be my friend hit it I'll I do that but um you know because I can post stuff on my own page that I can't and then the retired army chaplain page I got stuff and and uh and that's that's what happens in a in a a well uh, 
organized and well-meaning church. It's not just because they somebody has a relationship with the pastor. It's that they find relationships with each other. That's when that you're they right. Work together and can do, any, you know, the things that they've been called to do. They find others that have a like calling within the church, and they work together. And it, whether they know the pastor well or not, it's not the is not the most important thing. That's true. And and um, you know, I always have this dream that like it'll end. <laughs> Like, I've got to do this right now, and then I'm going to be free. <laughs> I don't know that that's ever going to be the case, but I but I do know that, like, right now I don't have the things that hurt me, that, I, that I've identified as hurting me. I can tell people I, I've got boundaries in, in that I'm not going to go over. I'm not doing that thing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have total confidentiality. If you tell me something... I'm not going to tell the whole world, but I tell you what, if you tell me that you're going to go out and do harm to another person, I'm going to pick up the phone and call the police because I'm, I'm, well, I'm not always going to do that way, but I'm not going to let you just go out and do things. I'm going to ask somebody for help. You know, there, it, it, and that's a good thing. You know, there's... I'm not going to let people hurt other people. I'm not going to spend my life getting on one political side or another political side. I'm working for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have some big old mansion. You're not going to see me driving around in some luxurious car. Mm-hmm. I'm not wasting any resource that would help me get to another person. I'm not going to spend a resource on myself when our people are hurting and well and I think that that's the I mean I think that's what you're beginning to see among some, some of your vet church folks at least that's what it sounds like you're talking about is that they're beginning to see that this is a this thing called vet church or whatever it is 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 bringing some people together that had not thought that they would ever have friends like those people, true. You know, that that's that that it's a different, it's a new dimension. That you know, a veterans association is going to bring into their lives. No, we can, you know, and so it's a, it's a. I think that's why God has has been using this, and why you know you've you've uh, got started in this. So, so who knows where it's going? You know. Uh, Somebody asked Johnny Cash why, you know, why he's going to wear black all the time. And he said it's because until, he said, I'll wear some bright colored clothes. But some of them, when everybody can do it. And then somebody else said in that movie, I think it was, he said, uh, you look like you're going to a funeral always dressed in black. And he said, maybe I am. And, and I kind of feel that same way. I feel like, when everybody can enjoy life a little bit better, maybe it'll be okay for me to enjoy it more. And the truth of the matter is, if this life is like we're in the birth canal... Yeah, but, it, your, but your happiness shouldn't depend upon... No, no. Other people's it, it shouldn't. 
But I think happiness and your your right relationship with God depends on you and God. True. You know, your own personal relationship. And in that I'm... And so, even with your relationship with your wife or your father or your brother or (coughs) something like that, you, you can't let those things completely drive whether you're feeling right or not. That's not, true. Not completely. I, I mean, it, those are facets. They do it. have some. They are facets to it, but that's where a lot of people get out of kilter. Well, because I, they want to please somebody else or be pleased by somebody else. Well, I, I think I'm the only one who can answer those questions for me. Yeah. And that and me for me. Yeah, and and that you know, like that idea of like thinking. Too much about stuff. I mean, I, I, I get out of kilter there really easy. And the other thing is, like, I have areas that I'm, I'm happy. I like what I'm doing with that church. I like what I'm doing playing music. Happiness is is as far as like just feeling happy in a day. Like when we're watching a TV show. It's funny. I had to think about it a little bit, how then it was funny. It's harder for me to do that than it was before. I'm still happy doing it. But it's not the, the happiness of contentment. Yeah, there you go. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about that. You know, that, that, that is contentment is true happiness. Yeah. And, 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 it's not the rah-rah happiness. I'm content to fight. I'm content to pick up that guitar and bleed. I'm content to like keep doing this and go on the road. And in that, and in so much as that contentment is, then I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I mean, like there we were, nice big old house down there, floor bigger than your house. Mm-hmm. Nice big house. Legalized medical marijuana. All the food I could eat. And that was giving me nothing. Beautiful wife. And I love that relationship. So I wanted to take that relationship and get out of that paradigm of feeling stuck. I wanted to do something with eternal value. Hmm. Not just sit in that house till the day I died. Her and I sitting there watching... What was that last cooking show we watched, King? It was good. Chef's Table. Chef's Table. Watching other people eat the world's best food while we sit down there eat pretty good food, too, especially if Kate <laughs> had time to cook. But, you know, she was working, so she didn't cook as much. So it just got to me, like, one day, I was like, man, I'd rather be on the road doing something, eating ramen than this. <laughs> So now we're doing it, and I think that it's the it's the whole contentment of uh, a realization that you're doing good work, that there's good work to do, and, uh, and why not do the best work that you can? Some of the best work I see going on, the best, is parents raising their children, and parents who are not. who are not necessarily like they're divorced and the other spouse has a child 
and that parent's doing good, doing some child care, sending some money over there, and some of them can't even see it, but they're waiting for the day when they can. To me, that is some of the best doing good that's going. Because they're taking care of their children. They're taking care of the future. They're taking care of their family. What do you think about that? Well, definitely. I mean, that's, you know, I, I come at it from a Christian point of view. So, you know, the creation order of creation before, in Christian terms, the fall into sin, that family was the, the key factor and has always been. That's why Jesus you know, refers uh, to that in the Gospels. When he says a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one. That means a, a household, a family. An oikos is what it's called in Greek, a household. And so, you know, making household is the most important thing that you can do. I really see that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel whether and a lot of brokenness within that, like you just you just gave examples of, can still you can still even through the brokenness do the right thing. I saw I saw a young man this summer, and he's with his kids, and um, even a stepchild. He takes care of, and I thought to myself, this guy right here, he's one of the richest people I know, and he, he probably has less stuff than you have in this room right here. Mm-hmm. No, no, he doesn't probably. He does have less stuff. And he's one of the wealthiest guys I know because everything he's done, he's throwing it, he's working on his own life, he's getting better in his own life for the sake of his children and their children. And they'll benefit from it. Oh yeah. I mean like I, I was I, I felt like I felt like I was I was sitting there with a hero. Like this man was a giant, like a colossal warrior for right and truth. Because of what he was doing for his family. So I, I see that as one area that, and I, and I think that's kind of the way I look at my tribe. Like, like Kate and I don't have kids, but I tell you what, I bore witness to the greatness of the lives of many, many people and their children. And, I, and so I, I look at all, like I look at the whole vet church thing. It's like this is my family. Like what I'm doing is I'm going to my people. I speak their language. They speak my language. And and that does and, and in that I find that contentment of happiness, mm-hmm. you know, because I think to myself it's not it's not like sitting there just taking whatever like little bitty wealthy pieces of like the nice house and the air conditioner down in Florida. Ooh, can't live without that and the medical marijuana where I could just like take too much if I wanted to. Nobody cares and sit on my back porch. No, that's not what my that's not happiness. Happiness is taking what I can or all my resources and throwing it into something that has eternal value. Mm. Because when death comes, I don't, I'm not going to be at that point. So I don't care if y'all are there either. That's right. But what I do care is y'all see me on the other side. Because mm. yeah. I'm going over there. And, and, I, and I think like you know, ever since I met you, that we talked about family. Remember I told you I want to have like 12 kids. No, we don't have any. But but we do. We have, I mean, K 
Kate and I have invested in thousands and thousands of lives and children. And, and, and I think, you know, I mean, from the very beginning, you know, that was my goal. I didn't know it was going to turn out this way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think any of us know what's going to no. happen tomorrow. No, definitely not. And, you know, some of that's been hard. But then, life is hard. So what else is new? Yeah, what else is new? I love, I love some of the little sayings you got. One of them is, uh, what do you expect from sinners? <laughs> I told you, like somebody did something wrong, they wronged me, you know. And I've been wronged a lot. And I was angry about it. And you said, well, what do you expect from sinners? And I said, well, we're all sinners. And you said, what? well, then you got it. <laughs> what, what are some, like, you've been a pastor for all those years. What are some of the little tidbits you'd like to say to that church? I, I don't think anything other than that, you know, you have a relationship with, that God has put you into relationships that you he wants you to work on and to be involved with, and especially the relationship with him. Um, and of course, that's my perspective. It may not be, you know, the perspective of uh, many of your, uh, some of your vet, vet church guys and gals. But that's where I come from. Um, so I think that that over the years, the relationships that I've had with people uh, through 42 years of ministry. I could tell you story after story after story of um, just very poignant times of relationship where I was with them and helped them, and they helped me. You know that, that I came away thinking that I was going to be the minister, and they ministered to me much more than than I ever ministered to them. And that's the that's the relationships that that makes a, makes church or makes. The, the household together. And that's what makes you know, life worth living for people. T- tell us about the... Ever since, you know, like Kate tells me as a little girl, I used to take her to visit older people. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the need to just go visit a nursing home. Like, I think all of us can do mm-hmm. that. Can't everybody just go visit a nursing home or a soldier's home? Yeah, I think it's it's some of it's getting a little more difficult now, a little more restrictive <clears throat> than it used to be, uh, depending on what the. But we all have facility, an older neighbor next yeah, door that like the facility is there. that they may require some, you know, uh, identification and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, the most a lot of the people that I see in nursing homes today, um, their families have abandoned them, basically. Say that again. Families have abandoned people in nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Why? I think probably because it's just too hard to deal with the, the realities. Uh, some of it has to do with, you know, here's your, well, I've got a guy right now whose wife doesn't know who he is. And he's lived with her for 40 years. And so it's really difficult for him to be in a relationship with her when she doesn't even know who, she, who he is anymore. Yeah. So, so that's 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 pretty tough. It's got that's like the notebook stuff, man. It's like cry your eyes out. Yeah. But even cry your eyes out more if nobody ever goes and sees that person. Exactly, and that's why he keeps going. Yeah, it's his commitment. 
to her. Uh, and the same for a, uh, a woman who's probably a little bit younger than I am, whose mother is now basically uh, very seldom knows who she is. But she goes just about every day to see her mom and, to, and bring her ch child to see her grandmother. Uh, it doesn't matter whether the grandmother actually cognitively understands who these people are. She understands they love her and they're caring for her. They know who she is. She might not know who they are. But they do. But they do. They do. And, and if we go visit people that are shut in, that are alone, mm -hmm. very alone, it'll it'll change us. Oh yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's a it's a lot of fun too. It's, it's it can be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it, not it's it, not just all sadness. It's a lot of fun too. Well, you know, I think that's one of the things where I've found the happiness I have found. Has been, you know, people say, well, why are you driving all over the place? Because I'm looking for something. And some of it is happiness. Mm -hmm. and, I, sure. and I've found it out there on the road in people's lives, being involved in people's lives. And, uh, and I'm, I, I encourage other people to do it. I mean, we've got this veteran, vet church pilgrimage coming up. We've got somebody coming in from Tucson there, flying from beyond Tucson. I think they're getting on a plane in Tucson. That's crazy to me, man. Like, like people are they're investing in each other because they know there'll be other veterans there. Mm -hmm. And this is the first one, and there'll be more. And there'll be, we'll do other stuff in different places. Anyway. <laughs> anything else? Not right now. Well, thank you for doing this with us. Can we use this on podcast? Sure. Okay. Hey, Vet Church, y'all continue to question. You know, just because we said it don't mean it's true. Think about things. Use your mind. Take this further. Have fun and take care of one another. Love y'all. Tomorrow we're going to be doing a first Vet Church wedding. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Hope to see you there. It'll be at, uh, if you want to tune in, it'll be 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That's, you know, the east side of the nation. So if you went to the east, right side. The right side. <laughs> <laughs> left side, right side. Well, that depends. If you're looking south, it'll be the left side. But, well, <laughs> I love y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.